0: Alright, hello and welcome to episode number 31 of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? You alright? I'm good, man. How are you? You okay? Very good, very good. I had a lovely week, playing football at the weekend, scoring goals down the 5 side Two goals, to be exact. Very nice. <laughs> Albert, oh,
1: obviously it's been a while since people have been playing football. When are you back? You've been a few weeks in. Yeah, You scored a few goals at the weekend.
0: Two. Two goals. Which <laughs> player would you say you're most like in current form in the Portuguese league? Do you know what? I, I feel like I had a decent game, you know. But my game, right? My game is close control. Simple passing, right? Pass and move. Take the ball. Mm-hmm. Move it on. Don't try anything fancy. <laughs> I can I can move with the ball a little bit. Not too far. Probably get challenged. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to say I'm the English Ali Miserati. That's what I am, deep line, deep line <laughs> midfielder. Bit of an edge. I can put a tackle yeah. in. Got a decent range of passing. Is it? That's, that's, that's was cool. it Harry Redknapp very famously
1: told Wilson Palacios, "You all you got to do is as soon as you get the ball, pass it to Modric."
0: Is that? <laughs> is that? <laughs> yeah, that's my main tactic down the five. side. So pick the best best players to be on my team and pass the ball to them. Yeah, no, it's great to be back. Great to be playing some light-hearted football, especially after watching some of the Portuguese games when it can be anything but light-hearted. And I think that brings me nicely onto the first bit of news that we're going to talk about this week, Barney Sergio Contesal. We were quite strong, I think, in our condemnation of how he treated the referee uh, in Porto's last game and the news this week that he has been banned for 21 days. That will see him banned up until the last game of the season. He won't be able to be on the touchline until Porto's very last game. I think it's quite fair. I called for him to be banned for the rest of the season. I can understand why the Portuguese league might have thought that was a bad look to him out for the whole season. But, you know, it's still a fairly lengthy ban and I, I hope it's the start of a slightly more stricter enforcement of rules when it comes to managers and members of the staff treating referees with respect. The thing that does confuse me is why
1: the ban is in days and not games. Because, you know, in a different part of the season, 21 days could be just three games and mm. um, or, or it could be more. So that, that confuses me. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, they're clearly trying to stamp it out by the length of ban and some important games out with it, you know, they've got Benfica coming up in the week uh, on Thursday. He's going to be a loss. I said at last podcast, I think he's one of these managers whose presence is really felt on the pitch and is uh,
0: very important for the team. So it's just City and um, yeah, he's got his comeuppance, is not he? Yeah, well, him and Amarim, two high profile managers who served touchline bans for comments against the referee. And I think it really is something that we want to see. Stamped out. I don't know if you saw the other news this week, Barney. I wanted to ask you about this. It actually came out today that uh andre Sporar, who's on loan At Braga, has been fined by Braga. Do you know why? Did I do know why and I'm quite shocked by it. <laughs> <laughs> well for anyone who doesn't know this story, I find this quite bizarre. So Sporar has been fined by Braga. Bear in mind he's on loan at Braga. You know, he's he's currently still officially a sporting player. He's been fined by Braga because Fidel did an Instagram post after Sporting's victory over Nationale, which we're going to comment to in a second, uh, and left a comment saying, it's coming soon, mate. Something like that, you know, referring to the title win, you know, it's, it's, it's coming home, essentially. Uh, <laughs> and Praga took, took offence to that. I guess they thought it was him supporting a rival team, despite the fact that he's officially a sporting player uh, scored three goals for them in the season and presumably will receive a league winner's medal if, if Sporting win the league. So it seems a, a little bit bizarre, that one, to me. Yeah, especially because, like, you know, Braga aren't really challenging Sporting for
1: the title. So it's not like if it was like in the hunt, you know, I could have understood it a bit more. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I think we'll talk a bit more about him later, but I, I don't think he'll be there next season. Let's just say that. I think the reaction from some of the Braga fans have been pretty heavy and, uh, you know,
0: <laughs> he, he won't be back there. Yeah, no, it's fair to say he hasn't exactly lit up the Liga 1 for either Braga or Sporting so far this season. We're going to be talking about Sporting, Braga, Porto, Maritimo, Vittoria and Morens in just a moment. Well, let's get straight to the games of the week then, Barney, and there's only one place we going to start. We've been starting with sporting every week for the last few weeks, but as long as the title race is kind of going down to the wire, I think there's only one place we can start, really. And this week, they ran out 2-0 winners at home against City Nationale. Goals in the 83rd and 92nd minutes, so they left it quite late, goals from Fidel and Jovan Cabral. But for me, even though the goals came late, personally, I wasn't too worried about them not scoring. Uh, throughout the game, obviously, they came up against a very resilient Nationale team, But I thought they controlled the game and they always looked to threat. And, you know, again, they left it late. But for me, the result was never really in doubt.
1: Yeah. And I think I want to actually start by focusing on Jovan Cabral, who for me came on and, you know, was the difference in getting sporting these uh, two goals late on. The first thing I wanted to highlight is that throughout the season, he's popped up late with late goals, important goals that have won them, you know, games. He's got a goal every 109 minutes, which if you compare that to their top goal scorer, Pote, who I think we, both agree has been clinical this season. It probably has to goal every 141 minutes. So that just puts in respect of how effective um, Cabral's been when he comes on. And, I, and he did a little brief post-match interview after the game, and he, he was actually quite humble in this, I thought. And I think it was quite a... a he said some interesting things. So he said, "Amir always tells me to train hard and he will have my opportunity. I know my worth and I want to thank my family and supporters." And I, I really like that because I, I assumed that he would be, you know, expecting a lot more minutes. And I, I know Nuno Santos has been brilliant this season and so it's hard for him to get in the team. He's one of their hottest prospects. I, I think he's a really exciting player and he's clearly very effective as well. And if has done enough to keep him here next season, because I think, you know, he, he could have been in his right to be pushing for a move. He's, you know, he, there'd be clubs in Europe interested in him. But if Amarin has managed his expectations, kept him happy, how important is he going to be for them in Europe next season?
0: He's going to be such an important player. That's a really great point, And I think, the, only, the honest truth is that I haven't thought much about Shavan Cabral this season. I think we've been so focused on uh, some of the players who've been playing more regularly than who've been playing so well. Nuno Santos is, is is one of those players, and it's so easy to forget that Siobhan Cabral, as you said at the beginning of the season, was was one of the big hopes for the season. You know, he was, there was he was potentially going to be one of the star men, and and he's really had to play a supporting role. As you say, uh, listening to those stats, he's played that supporting role very well. The, the effectiveness he has when he comes on. Uh, is evident in this game he was by far the best player I'd be very interested to see if he starts ahead of Nuno Santos in the next game because I think you could definitely argue that he, he's earned it especially with what was a fantastic performance uh, in, a, in the very brief cameo that he made let's not forget he also created the penalty that he then scored and it was a top notch penalty by the way the way he put that into yeah. the top right corner was fantastic yeah, really interesting player to, to keep an eye on this season and next season.
1: Yeah, and I think it was, you know, credit to Amarin for making that change and because it was a really positive change. He, you, you know, he um, purposely dropped Jao Mario and brought in Brain Cancer because he knew Nacional were going to defend deep and, it, you know, needed someone to be that creativity. And then bringing Cabral on and, and taking Palini off, you know, suddenly you had Pote and Brain in that midfield. And it was just such a positive thing. And, and though you might, expect them to sort of not hold them to possession as well with both Pallini and Jamari not being on the pitch they still finished the game with 70.9% possession so I really want to see more of that and because having that pace of Cabral having that pace of Nino Santos and then having Pote arriving in late as well I just thought that was a really really exciting um 11 at ended end of the game
0: yeah completely agree with that Zue Fidal, the centre-back was the other player on the score sheet bond. he's A player that I wanted to highlight this week, I I was full of praise for him in last week's game when they beat Braga. And he was so important to that result. He's such an important player for them. Coates and him have been absolutely immense at the back. They've conceded the lowest number of goals in the league this season. They've only conceded 15 goals in 30 games. uh, And I think that's for a very good reason. And let's not forget, Barney, with four games left, we're talking about them potentially being title winners. We're talking about them potentially being invincible title winners as well. They haven't lost the game all season. And I think with those two players at the back, obviously Inacio and Neto have kind of come in for each other as the season's gone on and both been very good when they've played. But those two, particularly at the back, have just been really, really fantastic. Yeah, and I think you made a good point last week, highlighting
1: the fact that when he's not in the team and say race came in, they look a little ropey. And, and, you know, with Kratos being arguably the, the best player of the season in the whole of this league, it's easy to sort of Gloss over for that, not it? But he, yeah, he's absolutely immense, and also a, a really smart signing, wasn't it? Because he's not the youngest player, you know. He's he hasn't been an amazing. He wasn't an amazing player in Spain, was he, uh, Raul Betis? But in this league and
0: in this season, he's he's been absolutely phenomenal. I think he's coming in. He's adapted so well. So yeah, I've got nothing but praise for him. The other player we have to talk about, Barney, of course, is Paulinho. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on him, and and maybe how those thoughts might have changed because I thought he looked fantastic in this game. Now. Uh, I know he didn't score, but he was really getting himself into the right areas, not just for himself, but for his teammates. We know one of his biggest attributes is what he contributes to the team as a whole. And he was creating space for teammates and also getting into great goal scoring opportunities. Had a couple of great shots on target. uh, The couple that I remember specifically were a nice diving header that he had, I think, in the first half. And then a lovely left footed volley as a ball came over his shoulder. Which just hit the post, and that was an excellent chance. Obviously, had the goal ruled out for offside, that was a bit of a tap in. Uh, but again, he can only put himself in those right positions to score. And I think it was a really promising performance from him because I think if he, you know, puts one or two of those chances away, he, you know, his confidence goes up, and he's starting to look like uh, the player we want him to be.
1: Yeah, I really feel like when he was coming in for this heavy criticism recently, I, I, I personally think that the issue was he was being played alongside Thiago Thomas, and that. Just wasn't right. It didn't look balanced. um He's far better, and I think we saw a little bit in moments in this game, like you said, when players like both Nuno Santos and Pote, even side of them, or Cabral when he came on. You know, those, those sort of players you could say were wingers, but playing a little more inside. And uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you know Sporting have only won by a goal or two all season, basically. And in fact, there's only been two games where they've won by a bigger margin of two than two. And that was two back-to-back, four nil wins against Tondela and Vittorio Guimarães back in November. Now, who was playing striker in those games? Spora. And you could argue that he's the most similar player to Paulinho in that attack for Sporting. So I, for me, I think it's just simply a question of a mid-season signing, taking time to settle and fit in which you see a lot in football and i do think you know we don't have to debate yeah. like, oh does um amarin have to change his tactics to fit pauline in? we don't have to do that like i said player like spra play like pauline played up top they got their biggest wins of the season and i think the goals are going to come from no doubt and i, I, I don't i really don't think there's an issue and if anything i'm really excited for next season when i i see him banging a, a
0: fair fair few We'll have to see if he can carry that form forward. Sporting's next game, Barney, is Rio Ave away on the Wednesday. Now, obviously, they won't mathematically be able to win the to win this game, but if they do win, it will be significant because it will confirm their Champions League spot for next season, which I think at the beginning of the season, most Sporting fans would have absolutely bitten your hand off to get. So, you know, four games left to go, and Paulino's coming into form at the right time. The players have... Ground out a couple of wins, you know, where in potentially sticky games. So, so very good signs ahead for that imminent run in.
1: Is it they're just seven points away from the title? And I think that includes points that Porto might drop as well. But I think they're going to beat Real. I think they're going to beat Bovista. And assuming that Porto win all their games, they then get need just need a point at Benfica, don't they, Albert? And for me, I cannot think of a better team to grind out a nil-nil than Sporting this season, man. That.
0: <laughs> and for them winning the title like Benfica, I mean, imagine that, that would be absolutely amazing. We haven't spoken about a CD National body. I'm not sure really if you've got anything to say about them. I haven't particularly. They obviously had a good result against Victoria last week. I was quite, perhaps quite harsh last week when I said, you know, that result only matters if they follow it up in the next game. Getting a result against Sporting was always going to be difficult, especially as they went down to 10 men. Uh, after an hour, I don't think they could have really expected anything from this game. They've got Morrens at home in their next game. Morrens themselves in pretty good form. So that's going to be a tricky one, but not much really to take from that performance from Zidinus. You know, I felt at the beginning of the
1: season they really looked like a team who had just won, you know, Liga Pro. They'd, I think, they only had two losses last season, and they, I thought they put a few performances in that, you know, quite confident. But now, for me, they just they do look like the team that deserves to be sitting rock bottom. Like. I can't,
0: yeah, I think that it's done for them and I, I'm sad to see it, but someone's got to go down. Well, let's move on to the team in second place, Barney. Porto had a potentially very tricky game against Famalicão, which they managed to win 3-2 in the end. A very enjoyable game of football. I thought some very good goals, high quality finishes. And I want to highlight two of Porto's players in particular who I thought had a good game. The first being Tony Martinez. Now, he started in place of Moraga, and I thought he had a really fantastic game for me. His best game in a Porto shot. He got on the score sheet from an excellent finish. I thought he linked up with Toremi really well. And he's an interesting one because he was signed at the same time as Medi Toremi and perhaps with a very similar statue to Medi Toremi. Medi Toremi's obviously cemented himself as a starter for Porto, one of the best strikers in the league. And to see Tony Martínez getting a chance and, and proving that he has got some fantastic ability uh, is really good to see.
1: I think he's been in fantastic form recently, even when he's just come on late in the games recently. He had two shots, uh, one on target, which was the goal. He won four aerials, you know. But what I really liked, the stats didn't say, was his, his energy and he looked pace, you know. He put himself about. And, and like you said, I think him and Toremi looked up really, really well. For me, I've, I really feel... I don't think he deserves to be starting the rest of the season, Albert. And quickly on Marego, because you spoke about him really well last week, and I I know I've been critical of him, but, you know, you're right to highlight he's been a great player for Porto over the years, and there's certain games where there's no one better than him to play. I think if this move for Al-Halal comes through, though, I think he deserves every penny that he gets from that Bomber contract. But it would make sense for me, if that is going to happen, to play Tony Martinez the rest of the season and let him, you know, build on his form, because he's clearly shown that he's got the ability. And I guess the question is, Albert, do you think him and Toremi could be leading the line for Porto next season? And if that's a strong enough strike partnership to
0: to take them further? Well, we have this conversation all the time, don't we, about what formation Porto should play. So if they do want to play two strikers up front, then yeah, I think those two could be a very good option. Although part of me does wonder whether they need to be looking for a a better striker, maybe even a, a better striker than Melli Now that sounds really harsh because... Reddy is a good striker, good hard-working striker, good finisher, good in the air. But he's not, you know, he's not a foul cow, You know, he's not that type of player that, he's not a Jackson Martinez that maybe Porto have had in the past. So it's a difficult one. They've spent a lot of money on strikers, though, Barney. They spent, what, four or five million pound each on Terrami and Martinez. I think they spent more than double that on Evan Nilsson. I think Evan Nilsson cost an awful lot more money coming in from Brazil. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the strike situation. For anybody who, who wasn't aware of what Barney was just talking about with Morega, there's uh, quite big rumours linking uh, Musa Morega with a free transfer to Al-Halal in the United Arab Emirates uh, on a free transfer. He's 30 years old, his contract's up at the end of the season. It seems like it might make sense for both parties if, if he were to move on, especially given the uh, $5 million a year that it's purported that he will be earning uh, in that part of the world and, and and all power to him. Well, I was going to say- Say actually just a bit more on that is that what I found interesting
1: was with Tremi. because by the way I think Trezeguet looking in top form again. I thought this was a, it was a man of the match performance. He was brilliant. One of his most interesting stats is that he had the second most interceptions in the Porto team, hmm. and I think what that perhaps shows is that if he's not playing with Marega, he might be asked to work a little harder on the defensive side of things. And if because Tony Martinez, I feel, is more suited to being that man in the box, getting on the end of things. So I think that was quite interesting to see that Tremi sort of being asked to do a little bit more he works hard usually anyway, but I feel like he was the one to drop a little bit deeper in this game. We mentioned that this was one of the changes to the Porto team um, and I was really happy with because like, there were a fair few in this game, which I, I was calling for last week. I know Chico Conchita started, uh, which you know he didn't have the best game, got taken off at half-time and Luis Diaz came on. But just simply doing that change for me was positive and then I, I, I think Luis Diaz should, probably should have been... I would have chosen him to start rather than Chico Conchita had done it the other way around. But the other one, Albert, that you know now could be quite damaging to Porto for the, the run-in is you know, Corona taken off injured after 16 minutes. And the reason I found that weird is because Sanusi came on for him and Sanusi was the one to be rested in this game rather than Corona. And Manafar played left back and corona played right back. And the reason I find it strange, Albert, is because Sanusi's been arrested a lot this season and it's, uh, you know, I do think that's an area that Porto needs to strengthen him because, you know, at least get a backup left-up because playing Manafort there and then not trusting Nanu, not trusting Carasso, we haven't seen at all this season and then sticking Corona in there and now he's injured and now he's out for the rest of the season. You know, I, it's a, it was a big call and it, I
0: don't know if it's paid off. I think it was the wrong call. I mean, we talk about Porto maybe needing to bring in a striker. One thing they absolutely have to bring in is another left-back. The fact that they only are going into the season with one left-back, presumably knowing all summer that Alex Tellers was going to leave, it just seems like awful planning. You say you've been impressed with Sinucci. I think he's okay. But for me, he's not good enough to start for Porto, depending on what their ambitions are. So they've got to be bringing in another left-back. Full-back is, is an area which I think they are particularly light in. Manafort is good but not amazing. And you think about some of the, again, you think about some of the right backs they've had in the past. I don't want to keep living in the past, but he's definitely not a Ricardo Pereira. You know, he's, he's not that level of player. So very, very difficult one for them. They've got to make some probably relatively hefty movements in the transfer market in the summer, which they should be able to do given the money that they earned from the Champions League this year. One other person that they might want to bring in, Bonnie, and I mentioned at the beginning of the section that two players impressed me in this game because the second one was uh, Mirko Grujic, the centre midfield on loan from Liverpool. He's really grown into that centre midfield role under Sergio Contesal. He looks really strong, wins challenges good range of passing. I think he, you know, he popped up with a goal today, a nice header. I think he's starting to really settle into the team. You know, Only four games after the season, so a good time to settle into the team. But joining on loan for, into a completely new country is always going to be difficult and I think he's looks a good player. And it looks pretty clear that Liverpool don't want him. Signing players from Premier League clubs is always going to be expensive, but maybe there's a deal to be done there because I think there's a real argument that He'd be a valuable asset to Porto, especially if they're going to be playing multiple competitions next season.
1: Yeah, and I think it, it, it looks like he's enjoying his football here. And I think that stability he offers, I think, is a very, um, he's, he's got a very big presence on the pitch. I feel when he plays because he, you know, he's got that height, but he can get about. Um, I've been impressed with him. I, I hope I, I'd like to see him here next season. Albert, uh, we should talk about um Ivor Rodrigo's free kick as well because I thought it oh. was beautiful because it beautiful wasn't even in the kick. top top corner was it it's just because it had that dip that just completely from its masters in. I thought that was I thought it was brilliant but then to be fair I think member and Diego late had a really decent game to limit Family Cow's chances to you know they put it they turned it on at the end fair pay to Famili but before then I thought uh, Porto looked really solid
0: yeah I mean because this was a potentially a sticky result Famili have been in great form recently and obviously a good an important win for Porto the title challenge is certainly out of their hands you know they're relying on sporting dropping points all they can do is win their games and as I said, Familiacal, not an easy opponent. So it was very important for, get, for them to get the win. I wonder if family cow will be slightly disappointed that they didn't get a result from this game. Obviously, credit to Porto because they played a good game. Uh, scored three goals, which is important, given the criticism we've given them and others have given them of not scoring enough. But I do wonder whether Family Cow could have been a little bit more disappointed that they didn't show their best throughout the whole game and, you know, do enough to, to maybe nick a point or just get a result out of this game.
1: You know, they have improved of late you know they're still not a hundred percent there to be you know I would say challenging Porto in games I think Porto is going to be the, the stronger team and come out on top the thing that's interesting Albert is because the next few games that Famalicão have you know there's a couple of tough ones and they've got Santa Clara, Vittorio Grimorash and then there's Cedar Nacional and Moran's last two games and they are only two points above Boavista Vista in the playoff spots currently and four points above Friends in the relegation spots so a few slip-ups there and they're not completely safe but
0: out of those teams, I feel like they are the informed form one of, at the moment. Well, that next game against Santa Clara is going to be quite interesting because I feel like that's the level that Family Cow should be aiming at for next season to be competing for those fifth to seventh place. So that's going to be an interesting one for them. Porto's next game, Barney, it's the Classico versus Benfica away. That's going to be an absolutely massive game. I don't need to tell anyone the importance of that game.
1: Uh, is it worth, well, do you want to speculate? Who, who do you see coming out on top of that one? Because I think that's, you know, some people are calling it the most um, expensive Classico ever just because of the, you know, the nature of the guaranteed Champions League spot and coming second and, you know, how
0: how that could go either way. There's a lot on the line in this one. Well, you know what's funny? Because a few weeks ago, I would have put Benfica to to win that game because they were in great form. But since then, there's been some pretty woeful performances against Gil so I think they were far from convincing against Tondela this week. And the way Porto are kind of quite fired up at the moment, I think I would, I would give it to Porto. But you know, even a couple of weeks ago, that could have been very different. So it's interesting that this game is coming around at the time that it is. I mean, I just mentioned their result against Tondela, Barney two 0 They won this week. You watched most of that game. Do you want to tell me what you thought of of how they performed against Tondela?
1: Tondela it had the potential to be a trick on it because Tondela on a bit a good bit of form, but still, I think what's rough remembering they're only on Tondela only on two points more than they were. At this point last season, so, and they were three points above the relegation zone last season, so you know just, that puts it in perspective a bit. but what was interesting most about this game was that Jorge just changed it up, he went back to this four four two system that we saw a lot at the beginning of this season, and I think it was down to him not wanting to take many risks on players like um Gonsavis, for example, was a yellow away from suspension, and also Tarabas are still not hundred percent fit, so I think he's looking towards this game against Porto. but what got me thinking of it is that this four four two does suit some players. Rather than the 3 4 3. So, I mean, Everton stood out in this game, and I still don't know what his best formation that Benfica play is for him because, you know, the first half of the season, they're playing 4 4 2 every week. He was a starter, basically playing full games, and he got a return of three goals and four assists. He then got COVID, and then we've had another 15 games where Jorge just reverted to his 3 4 3, and his minutes have absolutely dropped off. He's, you know, they've almost halved, but he's got three goals. And four assists. So he's playing half as many minutes, but he's still getting the same return in terms of goal assists. And I thought he looked good in this game. I thought last week, even in that three for three, he looked good. But I just don't know what formation suits him best.
0: I mean, it's really interesting one because I was one of those people earlier in the season calling for Everton to be played as part of an attacking free. So it's interesting to hear that he's he's had a good re- return playing in that position. But also, you have to be truthful and say it's been it's been an unfortunate season for Everton. He was signed on a relatively high price tag with, with such high expectations before he moved to Benfica, you know, it was rumoured that clubs like Arsenal were in for him. I saw a couple of people on Twitter talk, when he scored that wonderful solo goal saying it's it's difficult because he's been very underrated and and perhaps his his skills and his abilities have not been best presented playing for Benfica in the way that they've been playing this whole season, which I think is very true and very fair. So I maintain what I've said all season. I think he's a fantastic player. I think there's a lot of talent there and Personally, I don't think that his failures or at least his lack of resounding success is, is is totally his fault. I think there was, for
1: me, there was two other players who benefited from this formation change. I think Gilberto right back, I think in a back four where he's got someone's overlap. I think he's, he's much more suited than playing a wing back in a 3-4-3. Three, three. And the other one was Pitsy Albert because he got his goal. And I think in midfield, he, he, he bombs on, and he makes good runs. And that's where the first goal came from. And then did you see that he, he dedicated his, his goal to Goncalo Ramos, who was on the bench?
0: Interesting. And they just
1: got, well, yeah, because you've got your club caps, captain, Pitzi, who, who say that rooting for Goncalo Ramos. who has been on fire in the B team. But then the club have reportedly agreed a deal for Rodrigo Pino. They negotiate a portman for Beto. Darwin's lost his place in the team and top goal scorer, Savaric, isn't that popular. How about, who's going to be starting for them up top next season? Because I cannot
0: work out. It's crazy because you think about the strikers that, that they could potentially have on the books next season, right? Seferovic, Darwin, you know, Waldschmidt, if you technically count him as a striker. Gonzalo Ramos, Beto, Rodrigo Pino. it's just ridiculous. Like, they've got too many strikers. And it's funny because I think Beto could play for, you know, a team at the top of the table in this league. But I think if you're going to pick any team at the top of the table, Benfica would be the last of those big three that I I would put him at. I would have him at Sporting or Porto first, you know? So it's really interesting that... He's rumoured to be linked most with Benfica. They do need to sort out what they're going to do up front. And I think the answer doesn't lie with signing new players. I think they have the players that they need. And it's a shame because actually, looking retrospectively, it's easy to have 2020 vision looking back, right? But Darwin was always going to need help and guiding through this season. And an experienced striker, a proven striker in this league to kind of take on some of the slack and take off the burden in Soferevich would have been perfect. I don't think it's been managed in an ideal way so it's, 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 it's very difficult but I'm not sure Benfica's unless they bring in someone very different on big money from somewhere else I don't think Benfica's striker problems are going to be solved by bringing in someone domestically
1: Well I listened to um, of course Lina's podcast and um, Jaime Silver on there made this excellent point which I think I've been trying to articulate the last few weeks and he managed to do so really well Benfica have this they have a great win be it uh, Passos or Portemans you know teams that were at that point were playing in, in excellent form they score a full of goals against these teams and the next game, they're a shadow of themselves. And Jaime was suggesting that this is a clear example of something going wrong off the pitch because these players either aren't preparing well for games or mentally they're not 100% there because there's no consistency and they, and they can't keep a streak of form going. And because in this game yes, they got the win, but you know, they got a two-goal cushion, but in the second half, you really felt that the tide was turning. And if Tondeja had got a goal, then who knows what could have happened. And I think he mentions to Ferris, I think he's a prime example. He was banging him in for front. He's got up to top goalscorer in the league. But in this game and the game before, there was about three or four absolute tap-ins that he just wasn't able to, he just didn't put away. And I think that just sums it up perfectly, really, the, the
0: inconsistencies that Benfica have and just the confusion of where that is coming from. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And, you know, if only there was some kind of Amazon Prime series inside Benfica that we could <laughs> that we could watch to get an oh, insider's <laughs> view of what's going on there. Who knows? Well, look, we're going to move on and talk about some of the games outside of the top three. And we're going to talk about all the teams o- occupying the rest of the top half places. The first game, we're going to talk about Maritimo versus Braga. Maritimo won 1-0. And I think it's really good to focus on Braga a little bit, Barney, because we haven't so much recently. And this poor result was one of a number of poor results that they've had recently. They've really and very disappointingly let go of any top three chances that they had in, you know, maybe February, March time. Uh, and since that 2-2 draw they had with cow I think that was Eva Vieira's first game in charge, I believe. Uh, they've only won two games against second-bottom Forens and a 10-man Boa Vista. That's two wins in eight games. So, you know, things are really not looking good. They look far from convincing in this game. They look fine controlling the possession you know, passing the ball around. But for me, there was such a worrying lack of creativity. You know, there was no quality chances. And I thought, yeah, that creativity in and around the box was really poor and pretty worrying.
1: I've got two things to say on this out. First of all, the president, Antonio Salvador, is looking for re-election. And he's always said, he, you know, he's got ambitions to win the league. Now, we have talked last week about how keeping Carlos Carvajal was key to that. And I think we both agreed on that. But, you know, they've secured the signing of Yuri Medeiros, which I think is going to be a decent sign. He, when he was fit, he would look, look like an exciting player. They've also reportedly signed Thiago Escaio the, uh, from Belenenses, the right-back who is you know, also the brother of Ricardo. quite interestingly. But that's not, very, that's not a very exciting sign that's going to win you the league. I think it's something we just touched on with Benfica, but to me, it's got to be a striker. And we talked about Beto a lot. We mentioned Benfica potentially getting a 10 million deal for 70% of the player. If I was Braga... I would be moving heaven and earth to get that deal. If it's if it's going to be 10 million, do it. Because for me, he's the perfect profile striker they would need. I think Paulo Sergio, interestingly, the Porta Men's manager said in a press conference when questioned about Beto, you know, he, he said he's grounded, he knows his ability and potential. And he suggested that he wouldn't be a dead-search striker for Benfica like we discussed. Mm. And so if you add to that as well to this conversation, you know, for me, it, like I said, it's a perfect partnership Braga and Beto and then to put more speculation to like, more transfer talk Albert Ryan Gould coming mm. to the end of his contracts they need players like that they need players that are going to improve that squad because signing say his guy his guy's brother to be back up right back isn't going to do it and and like I said last week the, the the fringe players from sporting you know Roger and Spora they're not going to cut it either they, they need to invest heavily because the, the styles there attractive football's there it's just that final ball in the box that that putting the ball in the back of it.
0: i couldn't agree with you more i've literally written down the exact same two positions that i think they need to reinforce striker and a creative player it's interesting they've got luther singh coming back on loan from pasos de ferreira next year i don't know if he's quite the answer because he's another winger type i mean they brought in lucas piazon and i think Lucas Pierson's looks very good. I also think Lucas Pierson's got another level or at least another level of consistency that he could that he could bring. He could really make himself a key player in this squad. But I agree. I think they need one more creative player behind the strikers and they definitely need a striker. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Abel Ruiz as a player. I like him and I think he works hard and I think he's got a lot of ability, but just something isn't quite clicking in that Braga team, maybe with the way they play. So... For me, that that's a difficult one. The third position, by that I also think they need to reinforce, and we've talked about it before, they badly need a centre-back or even two centre-backs because they're relying on people like Raul Silva, who's, who's really getting on. And outside of him, I don't really know what the options are. David carmo we hope recovers quickly and I'm hoping he'll be back in time for the start of next season. But they need another centre-back and they need a centre-back who's going to just add another level to their defence. Not just another run-of-the-mill centre-back who isn't going to improve what they do, but they need a big improvement at centre-back. So maybe that would be my priority position for them. But we shouldn't forget, this is
1: a, a massive win for Maritomo. I mean, we credited Braga for some of their passage play in this game. I thought Maritimo showed some brilliant moments in this game with moving the ball from defence to midfield uh, to attack really well. Joel Gu goal was lovely. The way he sold his eye was oh, an beautiful. absolute treat. <laughs> Sat him down. But th- their defence was so, so solid, wasn't it? I mean, Zinedine Jr. was immense. He got 10 clearances in this game. And I'm sorry to do this, but I I do want to tell the Zinedine story um, (laughs) on on the podcast. (laughs) You messaged me in the weeks, showing me, was it from Wikipedia? Someone made an edit where they said uh, Zinedine Jr. was uh, adopted by Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. Um, and then you did have to Google to
0: check if that was true. I did just want to double check whether it was true or not. I mean, I didn't take into account the fact that Zidane's probably only about 10 years older than him.
1: <laughs> but there was actually a, a midfielder, Albert, in this Maritimo team whose defensive display stood out for me even more. Pedro Palagio He got three tackles, three interceptions, nine clearances, two block shots. And then he also got forward and got the assist for their goal. And, I really, really like this play. He's 21 years old. He's come through the Maritima Youth Academy, and I do see him moving soon because you know we we've talked a few times about Felipe Suarez of Morens. and you know there's rumours about him being linked to a Braga or Benfica. But for me, Pelagio is just as good. A really exciting player. I thought this performance in this game was was brilliant and uh,
0: definitely a player to keep an eye on. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I haven't got much to add on on Marisa, I think you've said most of it there. The two things I just want to add: one, Jozo Go having a fantastic season up front. I mean, you think about all the hype around Rodrigo Pino. He's now only one goal behind Pino in the league now and and he just looks like a fantastic striker. And the other thing I just want to say is uh, Julio Velasquez is doing a fantastic job with them. I think he's been underrated since he came in. It's interesting, he came in at almost exactly the same time as Ivo Vieira came in uh, at Famalicao. They were in roughly the same position in the league and now, after this game week, Maritimo are actually above Famalicao in the table, you know, despite all the praise that cow get for the style of football that they play. And don't get me wrong, Evo has done a fantastic job, but Julio Velasquez uh, doing a really, really fantastic job with Maritimo. I also love the fact that every game he wears a suit jacket with the Maritimo logo embroidered on it. It's just a lovely touch. Uh, Maritimo's next game, Barney, at home to Gil Vicente. Now, that's a big game because if they were to get a win there, that would put them on 36 points. And you have to say 36 points looks like the finishing line. It looks like you'd be safe on that score.
1: It's big. I think they can do it. I've actually really enjoyed watching them this end of the season now, but I think they've they've become a lot more exciting to watch. And you mentioned Joel go, I've mentioned
0: him as well. I, I think he's a fantastic striker and deserves all his praise. We're going to move over to Braga's rivals, Vittoria Kimmarias. They played Moura Rens in the week and they managed to get a 2-0 win. I think this game was surprisingly overlooked, by me in terms of importance. It was 6th versus 8th place. You know, Rennes were in touching distance of Vittoria. Vittoria badly needed a win to improve on their form. And I have to say, they looked so much better than they did in that loss against Nacional. I slated them last week, and I think rightly so. And I'm going to give them all the credit they deserve this week because it was a much more positive performance. They were on top the whole of the first half, and the game was made all the more better for the achievements of the Vittoria homegrown players. I mean, a first-ever professional goal for the young centre-back Amaro, a really lovely header from the edge of the box following a corner. Uh, and while we were all still admiring that is mate, Andre Almeida gets the ball about 35 yards from goal, moves past a couple of players, picks his head up and fires one of the goals of the season into the top left corner. Just a wonderful finish. And it's just great for those two players to get on the score sheet and have a good games. My favourite thing about
1: that Andre Almeida goal, Albert, which this made it look so much better, is I think he's assuming a had broken forward, hadn't he, and got the ball out the pitch. And then the ball would come back to Andre Omeida and Sullivan was pointing for him to do the easy square ball to the right back. <laughs> and Omeida and just ignored him and just hit it. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I think I mentioned Suleiman and Amro got his goal. I think that defence was really good, really, really solid, really impressed me. Um, Silvio coming in there as well, I think was a nice move by Bino. I think they worked really well. Amro was immense. I was critical of him last week for the, the goal that he sort of um, failed to block. But this game, he was brilliant, and I'm glad he kept his place because he, he put in a fantastic performance in this game. Another player I wanted to talk about is, um, is stupid though, because stats-wise, he had almost a perfect game. He had six shots, four on target, one key pass, 100% pass, actually, three aerials one. But then there was no goals or assists, and he hasn't scored in five games, and it's one goal in his last nine games now. So he's, he's drying up in front of goal. He's their top goal scorer. And when he's in form, I think you know, we thought it was brilliant, but I feel like this is the question we've been asking about every team this podcast, but, you know, do you think he's got enough for Vittoria? You know, do you think they need to look for someone
0: else? I think they should be looking for another striker, but not because he's not good enough, but because I think a team like Victoria needs multiple options. And you say he had a fantastic game in terms of stats, and I did think he looked impressive. I've also said on past podcast how much I rate the Morones goalkeeper Massis Pasinato. Passinato. So I think he played no small part in meaning that a stupid and stayed off the score sheet. I'm sure the management and staff at Victoria will be looking at that game and saying, you know what, he did everything right, so we're going to keep him in the team. And if we keep doing that, he will uh, he will get the goals. I want to go back to Issa Suleiman because people who listen to this podcast will know that. We're really, really big fans of him. I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this wonder why we focus on him so much. Maybe it's just because he's a young English player in the Portuguese league, but we both do highly rate him. And I think he did have a fantastic game. He came in after a very long absence. He hasn't played much for them recently. And they've had some very shaky defensive performances uh, in recent games. And he just looked exactly like what they'd been missing. He was calmness personified. It was just simple, no-nonsense defending. Three key blocks in the match, 80% pass success rate. Just a really solid performance. And I think he really showed why he can be a real asset to that defence. And I hope I hope he starts in the next game.
1: Well, wow, but the reason we go on about him so much is because the stats are there. When he's in mm. this Victoria team, they concede less goals. It's as simple as that. And it's it has been surprising that he's been out for so long. And I, I'm really happy he came back and put in a
0: performance like he did. Fellow Englishman Marcus Edwards, not in the team this week, Barney. That was a surprise to me because I think he's been their best player on form in recent games. Bino's left him out. And to be fair, uh, Andre Ahmed has done very well. So you can't really argue with the decision. But it was still a surprise. I mean, if he had played, I wonder if he would have done just as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because
1: um, Rashini on the other wing as well, added was a brilliant in this game. You know, he's he's he's, he's shown all season. But yeah, I I'm I'm conflicted because, like you said, Edwards has been great, but Andre Almeida playing further forward, I thought was a, a really shrewd move from Bino, and it
0: it, it certainly paid off. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that team selection goes in the last four games of the season with that new formation. With three at the back and only playing two wingers, is there going to be room for everybody? We know how blessed they are with uh, wingers in that Victoria squad. Victoria away at Forens this week, Barney. It's going to be a difficult game because Forens are fighting for their lives. Unfortunately, though, Forens fighting for their lives doesn't really necessarily mean they managed to turn out yeah. results. Uh as well, at home to Nassau now, so you would expect to win there. Uh, both those teams will be looking to pick up three points. We're going to round up this week's game chat, but before we do, we do just have to touch on one of the games of the week and it was an absolute goal fest Santa Clara free Boa Vista free the second 3-3 result Boa Vista had been involved in uh since their opening day result against C.D. Nationale the first game we ever tried to cover on this podcast I think Barney <laughs> needed about five head starts to get into it it took us about 30 minutes to, <laughs> to record <laughs> that whole thing but this game was just as exciting tons of goals tons of good goals uh, and a last-minute equaliser from Santa Clara. The game really had everything. And I think, um, when
1: I think back to that first game of the season, I think Albert Ellis was rumoured to have signed at that point. I don't think he actually crossed the line. He certainly wasn't in the squad. But in this game, Albert, I mean, he was the sign I was most excited for in Bovista, and he certainly didn't let us down. I think, you know, it's I think the thing with Ellis, and obviously it's the, the way have performed this season, they have really disappointed. But I think he's perhaps been overlooked a little by, by people because... I think he's a brilliant striker. He has that flexibility where he can play as a right winger as well. You know, and we talked about a lot of clubs today who need someone who can score goals. I
0: think he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic and a really, really good signing. He wasn't a cheap signing for Bovis, but a very effective one. He wasn't the only player they brought in from America as well, Bynum. They brought in Reggie Cannon right back he's a player who's kind of improved as the season's gone on and it did just get me thinking about portuguese teams looking to that american market to pick up players we know how much uh, american soccer is coming on and how good the players are getting over there and all those players are looking for a route into european football it just makes me wonder whether portuguese teams should be trying to position themselves as the perfect place from those talents from that part of the world to have an entry point into european football and then uh, eventually, be sold on for a profit, as we imagine both Alba Fellis and Reggie Cannon will be doing very soon.
1: And I think, in terms of this game, Albert, I think Santa
0: Clara have arguably done
1: this season what Boavista had hoped to do, you could say. What I want to do is perhaps compare the squads, because would you say that Santa Clara have the strongest squad? When I'd be actually inclined to say, as you mentioned,
0: with all this money that they spend on players, Boa Vista have the stronger squad. I'm not sure if it's necessarily that they have the stronger squad, but I think Santa Clara have a more settled squad and, and possibly. A slightly more balanced squad. I think Alba Felis, Angel Gomez, Reggie Cannon would all start for Santa Clara. I think Angel Gomez would probably start for most teams in this league. By the way, um, so perhaps there's more individual talent in Boavista. I think that Boavista team maybe it needs just one or two more transfer windows to get settled. Maybe another season playing together. I wonder if they'll get that because obviously their model will be uh, to move players on, but. It will be interesting to see whether they can get settled and, and, and build on that squad that they have, because you know with new owners uh, and lots of investment, it's about time and it's about settling players in. Well, they've got
1: Tondea, Sporting, Portimonense, and Gil Vicente left to play. They're still in that playoff position currently with that draw. How are you feeling about um, I I I mentioned last week I'm not so confident.
0: Yeah, no, I do I do feel like perhaps it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult for them to get above where they are. I think also they should be strong enough to stay where they are unless Lorenz really go on a fantastic run of form for the rest of the season and pick up two or three wins out of the last few games. I think they should stay in that third spot. But then, of course, that opens up the possibility of relegation through the playoff. It's a situation nobody wants to be in. You said it last week and you were bang on. It's a situation none of the teams want to be in. Uh, potentially tricky. I believe they would stay up through a playoff, uh, but it's not
1: ideal. No, certainly not. And I think the, the the reason that is Albert is because, you know, Bovista they scored three in this game. They've seemed to start to get second half of the season and get a lot of goals. But it's that defence. They let goals in far too often. And um, I feel like they'd even let some in against a, a league of pro team. <laughs>
0: well it's that part of the show we'd like to end things with a bit of a discussion about a pertinent topic from this week in Portuguese football now this week we saw the news that every single squad at the European Championships this summer will be allowed to have 26 members rather than the usual 23 and this of course opens up a whole new world of possibilities for players in every single league uh, in Europe we of course want to focus on the Portuguese league and which players from this league could benefit from that 26 command squad rule Some of them are more obvious than others, Barney. I'm going to let you run with this section. You've made a list of players that you think might benefit from uh, this rule in the summer.
1: Yeah, I think the first one to talk about is um, a player we talk about a lot, and that's Ryan Gould, because I think perhaps the first thing we should say to our listeners, and I'm sure many of them follow already, but there's an excellent Twitter account, um, Scots Abroad, which regularly um, tweet about uh, Ryan's progress in this league and how he's doing in in games, um, always putting up really interesting stats
0: there's also a really great podcast that they did with him where you can listen to a full interview of Ryan I believe if you just look up on your podcast provider for Ryan Gould, you'll find that podcast it it really is excellent
1: yeah but I think the, the sad thing that they seem to highlight quite often is that you know the, the Scottish management the Scottish FA just aren't very aware of him Scottish pundits you know um, they recently tweeted an interview where the the interviewee didn't the interviewer sorry didn't didn't have a clue who he was and still thought he was playing in a league of Pro. so Pretty that was times. Disappointing. I know because you know if that if that those three extra spots could be filled by him I think that would be brilliant I think he absolutely deserves it just because he would offer something different to that Scottish team because and you know we, to be quite simple about it, because he's he's been playing in Portugal for god knows how many seasons and you see that in his game he's got a, you know there's such a creative side to him and yeah for me he deserves to be there.
0: Yeah, and it's just we didn't cover Friends' this game on this week's league Noch chat, but if you go back and watch the highlights of the last game that played, you'll just see him as the standout player. I mean, there's a moment in about the 90th minute when he chases down he chases down an opposing defender, wins the ball, gets to the byline, and puts a great ball into the box. And I just think in tournament football, you know, and let's face it, Scotland are not going to be battering teams from the start of games in the Euros. They, you know, it's the first major tournament they qualified for in a very long time, so. They're going to be needing players to work hard. And if you just think the fact that Ryan offers you the perfect mix of hard work, high energy, uh, great fitness, but also creativity. What an asset to have. What an asset. Even if you don't want to start him, if he's unproven, I understand that. But what a player to bring on 70, 80 minutes into a game when you're trying to make something happen. It just would be fantastic.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and then I went on to Port because... You know, there's a few players here. Pedro Goncalves is the first one because, you know, last time out he was in the under-21 squad. And so, you know, this could potentially be in that, you know, the form he's been on is undeniable. He's, he's been one of the best players in the league this season. So there could be a spot for him in that national team, particularly with the um, injury to Neto
0: for Wolves recently. I would like to think that if Sporting do get this win over the line and if he does finish the league as either the top or the second top scorer in the league, the pressure from the Portuguese fans in the country, maybe those sporting fans who have gone, look, this guy's won the league and is top scorer in our domestic league. That would almost kind of build up a sense of pride around him. And, and you know, I would hope the manager would, would feel that as well to say, you know, we want to represent our domestic league as well and have the best player from, well, and have arguably the best player from the best team in our own domestic league be in this national team squad. I would hope that that, that would carry some weight and count for something.
1: Yeah, and actually, I, I I wrote down two more players from Sporting. Uh, Palina is the main one, I think. Personally, I think this getting to a twenty-six man squad would all but cement his place in the team and in, in in that national team because he's been a brilliant, and I think he's he's a defensive midfielder that they they need in that team. The other one that was a little bit interesting was Paulinho because you know he got given that opportunity earlier in the year, but then we could say his form has, has dropped off a little. To, we're well, not dropped off, but, you know, he hasn't been scoring as freely as there's a couple of other strikers in, in Europe who are Portuguese banging them in. So I'll be interested if he gets
0: in. It'll be interesting to see if a number of strikers get in, actually, because striker is a interesting position for Portugal. Obviously, we should just say that, you know, as a podcast, we're not we're not experts in the Portugal national team. We don't follow the Portuguese national team too closely. But I do think from the outside, looking in that striker, I mean, they've got a number of... Wonderful attacking players on the wings and behind the strikers, but as an out-and-out striker, you know, you wonder whether there is an option, an option to be had there, a position to be taken up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, my little wild card I wrote down was better because because <laughs> <laughs> you know You'd I thought he agreed,
0: see
1: <laughs> I thought he agreed to play for Guinea-Bissau, you know, but I think he's refrained and I think perhaps you know he has hopes himself of getting into the Portuguese team.
0: Oh I would love that honestly it would be a wonderful <laughs> wonderful story I think I think this might be a tournament too soon for him I'm I'm definitely not ruling out him making senior t- senior appearances for Portugal I think if he continues this form into next season and into their you know their friendlies and their world cup qualifiers and things like that I think then he'll be a real option I think this this tournament might just be a, a step too soon.
1: Yeah, and I, well, the last country I've got, Albert, is Spain because, you know, Pedro Porro got his call-up last time out with the internationals, and I think, you know, he's he's still just as good as he has been all season. I really, really like him. I think he's a very creative fullback, which, you know, is is, is really nice to have in a team. But the other player is Grimaldo because when I looked him up, I was surprised that he hasn't actually played for Spain since he played for the under-21s back in 2013 when he was only 17 years old and uh, for me he's he's a fantastic left
0: back well I think he's probably fallen victim to Jordi Alba who's just had that position locked down for years and years and years very little to get a look in do you know I'm not the biggest fan of of Grimaldo I think he's a good player and I think you know I've listened to some people speak and it almost seems like the trendy thing is to is to criticize Grimaldo and and come up with some hot take about him not being a good left back I don't think he's an awful left back but I don't think he's a great left back to be totally honest I think he's found his level at Benfica I think that's a good level for him you know you see him linked with with PSG I, I wonder how he would do especially defensively Uh, against you know teams big teams in the Champions League stuff like that I think he's found a good level for himself at at Benfica I think he should stay there I don't necessarily think he will be getting a call up for Spain anytime soon unfortunately they'll probably look for players uh, in the domestic league well that's about all we've got time for we'll be back next week to discuss all the midweek games from this week's Ligue 1 action and any games uh, at the weekend as the season really does come close to finishing not long left now only four games to go if you've enjoyed listening uh, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred service. Uh, you could recommend it to a friend who you think might enjoy it or just get in contact with the show. You can find us on Twitter at Football or an email at longballfootball@gmail.com on gmail.com. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening to this episode of Longball Football. We'll be back next week and see you then. See ya.